Let's start by um, asking God for his help, then we'll read Psalm 95, and then we'll have a look at this together. Let's pray. Father, please, help us, we ask, on this warm afternoon, that you would teach us what we need to know, that you are great God, the maker of heaven and earth, that you this afternoon, through this beautiful song, would speak to us and would inspire us and encourage us and rebuke us and challenge us and train us and teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we go, Psalm 95. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Well, here's how the psalm um, sort of works. There are two big calls. Um, You see them in verse 1 and then again in verse 6. Verse 1, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud. And then again in verse 6, come, let us bow down in worship. So I want to take those two big calls and just say, let's, let's look at those two big things first, and then we're going to see some practical I think some practical stuff that will help us um, to work out how we obey those two big calls. Um, So if you want to sum them up, I think verse 1 is calling us to exuberant joy. (laughs) To sing with exuberant joy. And then I think verse 6 is calling us to reverent worship. And I want to explore those two ideas just a little bit together and then get into some practical stuff. Now, let me just say, as we tackle this, I know that all of us have a slightly different relationship with music. Johnny is very keen to sing. He loves to sing in public. He loves to sing on his own. I genuinely thought that you were going to sing. I thought, this is terrific. I was. (laughs) And some of us, I know by nature, we love music, and we love singing. I get that for some of us, we're not so keen on it. Or maybe we're just not... We don't feel we're very good at it. It makes us a bit self-conscious. We're not very good at singing in tune, we feel. Maybe someone said something in the past that actually has really knocked our confidence. It's easy to do that, isn't it? Um, I was going to tell you about my mum. My mum sings very enthusiastically. She might watch this, so I need to be careful. But mum sings very enthusiastically. Let's leave it there. She sings very enthusiastically. (laughs) Exuberant joy. Let the reader understand. Um, 
But some, but some of us, I think, feel a bit self-conscious and we feel a bit nervous about it. And I want to acknowledge that at the start and say that that's okay. We're a church family. But I want to encourage us to not just settle for where we are, but to say, what does the Bible say about this issue of singing? And it does seem to me to be quite clear in verse 1 that the Bible is talking about a sort of singing that is exuberant, that is joyful, that is loud. Shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. So if you can't sing tunefully, you can shout. (laughs) And so there is something in verse 1 that is calling us to a loud, joyful expression of praise. Now, even that can be quite challenging, can't it, for some of us? Perhaps by nature, our our more reserved manner is to just be fairly quiet and to perhaps to mumble, but not not to sing loud. I think the Bible calls us to sing loudly. Um, and you might say, well, why? What, what is it about singing that God is so bothered about? Why exuberant joy? I think there's a number of reasons. One, it tells us something about the character of God. You see, it tells us that God is a God of exuberant joy. It tells us that God is not a God who is kind of sitting in solemn silence in heaven saying, shh. He's not a librarian, all right? Librarians are terrific in a library, but not in a church. There isn't a shh, shh. That's not how we act. And the reason I say this is because there's this really interesting verse. Um, Don't worry about turning to it, but in Job 38, listen to this. Um, when God is talking to Job and he's talking about when he created the world, he says this, on, where, on what were the world's set, footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? So here's the thing. God says, when I was making the world, when I was setting it on its foundations, there was music. The stars were singing. And there was noise. The angels were shouting for joy. So when you read about God creating the world, it was created in an atmosphere of exuberant joy. Because God is a God of exuberant joy. Because God is not just a God of exuberant joy, but also a God of awesome creativity. He creates. He makes things that are beautiful. And that's why I think, actually, we are to make music. Because music is an expression of God's creative heart. When we create music, we are doing a creative act like God created in his image. And therefore, it is right for us to make beautiful music. For us to create And so as we sing, we're reflecting something of the God that we serve, a God of exuberant joy and a God of beautiful creativity. I think that's why God calls his people to sing. Because that's what he's like. So there is an exuberance, there's a, there's a, a joyfulness to this, and in verse uh, 2 it goes on, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. 
thankfulness. That one of the reasons that we sing is to thank him. Thank you. To extol him is to put him on high. That's what the word literally means. To extol. To put him in a high place. As we sing, we put God in his rightful place as the one who reigns. But of course, you might say, well, how can I be exuberantly joyful when I don't feel exuberantly joyful? I, I'm assuming that, like me, you have days when you're not exuberantly joyful. When actually you just feel a bit bare. And you feel a bit stressed out, and things are going wrong. And you're not even sure that you want to be a little bit joyful, let alone exuberantly. Well, this is where the psalm goes on in verse 3. Do you see? You're to sing for joy to the Lord. Why? Well, because, verse 3, for the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. You see, you tie your exuberant joy not to your current circumstances, not to your situation, not to your current emotional state, but to him. If you say to the psalmist, why should I shout for joy to the Lord? He will tell you, because God is the great God. He's the King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his. He made it. And his hands... It's all his. And so it's not as we allow our experience and our situation to bubble over in joy. It's as we look to him and we rejoice in him. Which of course means, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more when we chat to a couple of people. Which of course means that joy cannot be an emotional happiness. That cannot be what the Bible means. But it's not an unemotional, abstract, I am going to be joyful. There is an emotional response in it. And so I think what the Bible is calling us to is that way of saying, God, you are good. You are always good. And therefore, I will praise you. I will sing joyfully. So it requires obedience to obey this command. To come and sing for joy. Of course, the, the world often wants to tell us not to be too um, passionate about things. You know, chill out a little bit. Look, it's fine, you're a Christian, but don't get too excited about it. The Bible says, no, do get excited about it, actually. Do get excited. Don't settle for an unexcited. Do get excited about the character of God and his nature. Which is why the songs that we sing need to be songs that tell us what God is like. They need to be songs that tell us that God is good, that tell us about the character of God, that tell us about the goodness of God. They need to be songs that remind us who he is and what he's done so that our hearts will be exuberant in joy. Those are the songs that we're to sing. So exuberant joy, but also then reverent um, worship. So verse 6 says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. And so the Bible paints this picture of a balance between, yes, noisy, joyful praise, but also reverent humility. I think bowing to someone is very rare in our culture now. When was the last time you bowed to someone? When was the last time you knelt down before someone? That never happens in our culture, right? 
We live in a culture which is increasingly familiar. So actually, we want to be on first name terms. So in a situation, you know, when I, when I, when I was a kid, I, I would never have dreamt of calling my mum and dad's friends by their first names. That's an awkward thing, isn't it? What do you call your mum and dad's friends? Remember that? It's really weird, isn't it? So we used to call them all uncles and aunties. Uncle Graham and Auntie Angela. But then you realize, at some point, you've got to stop doing that. Because when you're 30, it's really weird. Hi, Uncle Graham. At what point do you make the transition to Graham? But that feels really, ooh. Now, all this to say that we struggle with this in human relationships. But when it comes to God, I think we are tending towards and veering towards an over-familiarity in the way that we approach God. That we tend to think of him as the God who's near and we can approach and we can come to, but not the God necessarily that we're to bow to or the God that we're to fear. Whereas the Bible says that God is awesome. He's a God of burning purity. He's a consuming fire. When people meet God in the Bible, they fall down flat on their face. They don't go, oh, hello. And so that exuberant joy is to be matched with a reverent worship, a bowing, perhaps, yeah, of physically bowing. But that's an attitude of the heart. And so as we come to sing and as we come to praise, there is something about our approach to God, our posture before God. That as we bow in our hearts, perhaps it is appropriate to bow with our bodies, to kneel before him from time to time. Or to stand in his presence. Or to express something of his worth and magnificence. I wonder whether you know something of the awe of God. I think this is why we struggle with silence, right? We, we find silence awkward in our world. You notice how football matches don't really have minutes silence anymore to remember because they have a minute's applause because we don't know what to do with the minute silence. And we can be nervous of silence. We can be nervous of quietness. But actually in quietness, there is often those moments to stand in reverence before God, to shut our mouths and just to say, to, to acknowledge him as the one who is God. And why should we bow down in worship and kneel before him? Well, because, verse 7, he is our make, he's, a, he's our God. We're the people of his pasture. We're the flock under his care. It's interesting, isn't it? If I was the psalmist, I'd have done this the other way around. If I was the psalmist, I'd have said, be joyfully worshipped because he's the God who cares for you, and be humble and awe-struck awe because he is the maker of heaven and earth. Whereas the psalmist says, no, be joyful in worship because he created everything and be reverent in awe before him because he cares for you. You see, his love for you is an awesome thing. His love for you, his extraordinary kindness should draw out of us a reverent worship. So you can see these two, I just want to keep these two big ideas in your head, exuberant joy and reverent worship. And now what I'm going to do is I want to show you very quickly some implications of what this might look like and how we can help each other in this. Firstly, I think we need to see this as a privilege. All right? It is a privilege to sing. 
So look how this, this might come up on the screen if we're... Great, one more. If you look at verse 1, look at the first word. Right, okay, this is, what, this is the bit now that I, I was really struck by this week and got excited about. Verse 1, it says, Come, come, let us sing for joy. Now, that word come is an extraordinary thing that God would say that. You see, to say to someone, come, it is an invitation. It is for someone who is far off to be called to come near. Over and over again in the Bible, you discover that is what God calls human beings to do. Come near. In fact, if you want to sum up the whole message of the Bible, if you want to sum up the gospel in one word, I think that's a pretty good word, come. That's what God said. Okay, you may not be that excited about it. Okay, let me push it a little bit more then. Why is it such an exciting word? I'll tell you why. Because in the beginning, when humanity first was created by God, and humanity rebelled against God, which is what we read, God said to humanity, leave, go. You see, human beings, by nature, because we have rebelled against God, because our hearts are sinful, because we are impure before God, we have to go from God's presence. We have to leave. That's devastating. And yet God's big purpose, the story of the Bible, is how that leave becomes come. And here it is in Psalm 95, it says, come, let us sing for joy. It is the most extraordinary privilege in all the universe that the God has created you, now calls you to come, to come from that place of rebellion and sin and to come into his presence. And in order for you to come, he has paid the highest price, the highest price you could imagine. You see, when Jesus walked this earth, when Jesus came into this world, it was Jesus who went around saying to people, come. Come to me. Because the way that we come is through Jesus, because it is Jesus who came to bring people who are far and bring them near. Like a shepherd looking for their lost sheep, they go to find the sheep and say, Come. Jesus says, Come. And you may say, But I'm not worthy to come. I can't come. Exactly right, you can't. But it's Jesus who washes you so that you can come. It's Jesus who forgives you so that you can come. It's Jesus who purifies you so that you can come. It's Jesus who makes you alive so that you can come. It's Jesus who empowers you so that you can come. It's only Jesus who can bring you from that far off place so that you can come. It's the most extraordinary privilege to sing. And every time we open our mouths to sing his praise, in a sense, it should blow our minds. I have no right to sing these words. I have no right to sing of God's goodness. By nature, I should be far off. But Jesus, you gave your life for me on the cross so that I might come. Do you see the privilege? Do you see it as a privilege to praise him? This afternoon, it's a privilege that he 
has paid the highest price to buy for you. I want to imagine that someone bought you a ticket to go and see, um, I don't know, someone famous, a, a famous pop star. That's not quite the right word, is it? I feel my age sometimes. And uh, you, he, they buy you this ticket, and you say, oh, that's great, thanks very much. And, uh, and you, go to the, you go to the concert, and um, you're, you're sitting there, and um, you spend the whole time on your phone looking the other way, away from the, the thing on the stage, and your friend's sitting next to you. And they're like, what are you doing? I, I, I paid for you to come. It's, this is the privilege, and you treat that privilege like it's nothing. And here's the weird thing, right? We can do that in church. We get to come to church to praise God. We get to sing his praise because he didn't leave us far away. He said, come. It's the highest privilege. Yet sometimes we treat it like it's nothing. So if you have breath in your lungs, you were given that breath to sing his praise. So come. So see the privilege. Um, Secondly, it's a community thing. Singing is a community thing. It's something we do together. Look at Psalm 95, verse 1 again. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come. This is a plural thing. Singing is something we do together. Now, it's fine to sing on your own, and it's good to sing on your own, but singing on your own is only a means of supplementing what we do. We come together to sing. And there's something so amazing about singing with other people. I went to a, um, I did go to a gig a little while ago. Um, there we go, that's the word. And uh, it was a, Jacob Collier was singing performing, uh, doing things. I d- I'm very out of my depth there. And um, he, he's, he's fab, by the way. Um, it wasn't even a Christian gig. It was a very unusual place for me to be. And um, at one point, though, he, he stops. He basically plays everything. He, he's like this. He just has all the instruments and plays all of them. But at one point, he stops, and he gets the, he gets the audience to sing. And then what he does is he, he says, right, you're, I'm not going to do it, okay? Because I'd love to do this sometime, but I was talking to Bethany about this yesterday. You need someone like her who could do this. Um, she, he gets one portion to sing a note, and then the next portion, he, they have to keep singing that note, and then the next portion, then the next, and the next. And um, he creates this chord, and then he moves, he moves the audience just by singing, like, like up, down, uh, 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 like this. And he's conducting everybody, and he's like, like this, and so you have to move where he's... And it's just... It's spine tingling. It's just human voices. And all we're going is, ah, that's all we do. <laughs> right? And it's, it would sound, honestly, I thought this was, as we were doing this, I thought, I would love to get a recording of just me. It would be hilarious. <laughs> but there's something about suddenly those voices suddenly molding together to become something so beautiful. I promise you, it was, it was like a, a moment of, 
It was extraordinary. And we weren't even singing truth about God. Because music is so universally such a good gift from God that even people who don't know him can take his good gift and find something of the joy in it. And you think, if you can do that in Brixton Academy, surely in the church should be the place where that is multiplied. Because actually, it's as we sing together that we discover that joy. And I think this is part of the answer to why um, what we do when we don't feel joy. Because one of the things that we do when we don't feel joy is you look at other people who are singing. And you learn from others. And I'm feeling a bit miserable, so here am I feeling a bit miserable. And I'm standing singing. Then I catch the eye of someone else in the church, and they're really singing for joy. And at that point, what you do is you borrow a bit of their joy. You just sort of nick it. You, 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 you feed off their joy, and it reminds you, oh, yeah, he is good. I do want to worship him. This happened to me last week. I was at Keswick at a Christian convention. We were in this big marquee of 2,000 people. I wasn't feeling particularly in the mood for singing, and the singing was going on. And I, across the aisle from me, there was this little old man. He, he was in his 90s. Didn't know who he was, never seen him before ever. He was really small, and he was stood, and he was leaning on the back of the chair in front of him. He looked a little bit like the guy from Up. Do you know the guy? Like, genuinely, I said that in the nicest possible way. And um, he was holding on to the back of the chair. And at the end of the, the meeting, we sang, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And honestly, he just stood there and he was like, closed his eyes and was singing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And you could tell that was his life's story. He'd lived that for all of his life. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. I want peace I often forfeit. Oh, what pain. All needless pain I bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Honestly, I was like, I was moved to tears by this 90-year-old guy. So I nicked his joy. And because of him, I was able to praise God. It was really powerful. And at the end of the meeting, I went over to him and I said, I stole your joy tonight. (laughs) He was a bit confused. But I I explained. And I sat and I chatted to him for about 20 minutes and just found out about him. Heard a bit of his story. Heard how he'd been following Jesus. And you think, that's it. That's why we sing together. Because it's there in that moment as we take these truths that sometimes I don't feel bubbling over. But in that moment, we can help each other. Um, so it's, we, we do it in community. Um, then the third thing, um, let's have the next one up. Um, I just want to say something about the presence of God um, in, in singing. Um, because one of the interesting things um, in verse 2, it says, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Um, in verse 6, it says, let us kneel before the Lord our maker. So here's my question. Um, when we sing, what's going on with the presence of God? Or when we worship, or when we gather like this, what's going on with the presence of God? Because you say, hang on a second, God is omnipresent, right? God is everywhere. 
We've known that since we we're kids. Not omnipresent, obviously. But we've known if you've been brought up in church, it's one of the first things you're ever taught. God is everywhere. We sing songs about it. And, and God is big and he's everywhere. So you're always in the presence of God. You can't run away from the presence of God. So why would it say in Psalm 95, come before him? Surely you're always before him, aren't you? Well, I think the Bible teaches both those things. Yeah, you are always in the presence of God. And therefore, every moment of every day is an opportunity of worship. We're to live the whole of our lives in worship. But let me tell you this. I don't manage that, do you? And so there are deliberate moments when you come before him, when you enter into, in a deliberate way, that presence of God in order that you might worship him. I guess it might, I was trying to think of an illustration of this, I guess it might be like you walk down the south bank of London, right? You walk down the south bank every day, head down on your way to work. Tourists, get out of the way, you stupid tourist, you're so slow, get to work. And then one day you look up and you look at the skyline and you see Big Ben and you're like, wow, it's a magnificent building. It's always been there, right? You've walked past it every single day. You've just taken it for granted. And in those moments, there's an intentional, I'm going to stop and I'm just going to enjoy that. And that's what we need as Christians. We live all the time in the presence of God. But when we gather, there is a specific moment when we come into the presence of God in a deliberate and an intentional way. And when God presences himself with us by his spirit as his gathered people in order that we might worship him. Yes, the whole of my life is worship and it should be worship. But I need to be called to worship because I don't always worship him. And so there is a presence of God that as we worship, we might experience his nearness and we might experience his beauty and we might stand like we would stand before Big Ben and say, wow, he's always worthy. But in these moments, we see him more clearly. So the presence of God. And then um, the fourth thing is, it's a safeguard to us. I just want to do this quickly. The second half of the psalm, which we haven't touched on at all, is a very big gear change today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But I think the point is, the reason that's there is because if you don't keep singing, you will die. (laughs) Because if you don't keep singing, you will find your heart becomes hard to God. Because one of the gifts of music, one of the gifts of singing and um, gathering together is that it keeps our hearts soft. Because by nature, our hearts will become harder and harder like a lump of Play-Doh left out in the sun. And singing as we sing truth to one another. It's one of the ways by which God softens our hearts. It's a safeguard to us. Do you know the first, what was the first thing that Moses did when he brought the people of Israel through the Red Sea? What's the first thing he did, do you know? He taught them a song. Exodus 15, the song of Moses. He said, you need to sing this song. You need to keep singing this song. Because this is the song that will keep your heart soft and remind you of who God is and it will keep your eyes fixed on him. Sing this song, sing this song. But within one generation, they'd stop singing that song and instead were doubting God, distrusting him. Their hearts were hard 
And so they never entered his rest. They never entered the promised land, that generation. And that's why I said what I said at the start. We need to keep, sing- we need to keep singing or we die. So sing. Let's be a church that sings. I'm going to ask um, a couple of questions to people before we then have a um, chunk of time to sing. Um, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just bring the microphone to where you are. Is that all right? Um, at Tara, right, Joe and Tara kind of lead the music team in our church, and they do a terrific job. We should be very thankful to God for Joe and Tara. Um, Tara, do you want to just say, probably, you probably want to stand back over here a little bit so you're not in the way of the thing. Sorry. Um, do you want to say a little bit more about what, um, this thing of joy? What, what, not that I think you're a particularly grumpy person, but um, when you don't feel joyful, what are some things you found helpful? Um, I, think, I think there is an element where we can come to church and feel a bit inauthentic if we're at the front, or sorry, if we're in the congregation and um, we sort of look like we're more joyful than we actually are. But I think, um, and I think it's something you've said before, that there's that sort of defiance that says, actually, I will sing even though I don't feel joyful, yeah. because that is an emotional thing, and that as we sing... Um, our hearts do become softened and we, um, yeah, we, we do borrow joy from other people and um, I think we sing truths that then soften our hearts and uh, remind us of who God is and what he's done for us. And I think that then does bring about the joy. Brilliant. Thanks, Tara. That's really super helpful. Joe, can I ask you, um, what's your, as someone involved in the music, what's your kind of... What would you, what's your longing for Globe Church in terms of this singing thing? Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me a hard one without any warning. Um, I don't know. I think it's hard to sum it up in one thing. One thing that stood out to me as you, as you were speaking there in particular, uh, I think I, I really appreciate it. It kind of links to what I was saying as well, but I think the, the aspiration that we have for when we sing of what God might do in us as we sing or what, or of changing, of at least like coming and not feeling joyful but leaving filled with joy and having, yeah, a sense of this is, it's not just like however I'm feeling at the start, I'm also going to be feeling at the end, but having an aspiration that I, w- I want to be filled with worship. So even if I, I arrive at church and worship is the least natural thing that feels like it's going to come out of my mouth, I want, by the time I leave, my heart to be filled with joy in God and rejoicing and, and spilling over. I think, yeah, well, that's one of the things that stood out to me was then saying, okay, so when we arrive at church, I don't just want to shrug my shoulders and be like, oh, I'm not really feeling it this week. Sorry, I guess I'll try next week. But to just be hungry for, yeah, for our hearts to be really moved by God as we sing. Brilliant. So that heart desire thing is brilliant. Thanks, Jane. Great. Um, two more. Inez, you like singing. Um, what's, what, what have you found? What is it about? Do you want to stand up? Um, what is it you? Um, what is it you found? <laughs> um, yeah, I think I used to be quite self-conscious about singing. Um, I didn't want to like stand out, or um, I'm also an awful singer. So, um, but then I really got into this, the Book of the Bible, Song of Songs, which is like a song, and it's about passionate love. And um, I think I realized that when we sing, it's a way of expressing passionate love to our bridegroom, Jesus. And 
then like every word just hits different, you know? And like when you take a step further back, it's like we, the church, are Jesus' bridegroom singing, bride singing to him. And it's like what a glimpse of that final day. And I think the divine joy that comes with that, that today, you know, every Sunday we have that opportunity to like have a real tangible taste of what it's going to be like. Then you're just like, wow, isn't that awesome? Brilliant. Thanks, Ian. And one more, because um, Ryan messaged me this morning and said, oh, you're preaching on singing this afternoon. This is what I think. Um, so I said, great. Uh, two quite last-minute people. Um, now, I was just reading the account of the Last Supper in Luke 22, and one thing that kind of struck me is that uh, as Jesus is talking to Peter, he's basically talking about how Satan wants to sift them out. So there is a sense that the devil is kind of around prowling, so things aren't going to be easy. But what Jesus prays is that their faith wouldn't fail. And I thought that's kind of an interesting point because I often feel like, oh, I'm a bit of a failure. But the reason you don't fail is because Jesus prays your faith doesn't fail. But then it goes even more because I'm like, okay, well, I'll just take the encouragement and I'll just be like, great, well, thanks, Jesus, you've strengthened me. But actually what he then says is he goes, and go strengthen your brothers. So go do this, go tell people, go proclaim some truth to them. And I'm like, wow, yeah, I think I sort of do maybe like, I'm in a mood to receive the first one, but not to do the second bit. Um, and I guess that is part of church and part of singing, like you've talked about borrowing joy, and that's sort of what's going on. And then I think the other thing as well, sort of linked, sort of as I was thinking about that, that it links to is um, kind of therefore, like when you come and you're singing and you kind of come into the presence of God, what does it mean to know Jesus? And like in Philippians, it talk, in chapter three, it kind of talks about experiencing like you know knowing God isn't just about kind of gathering ideas about him it's this sort of bigger richer sort of deeper thing but it's about learning to kind of know what it means to be sort of joined with him and so you kind of experience his resurrection power but also his death so it's kind of learning to experience all of that and I think yeah we can sort of do that to one another in singing brilliant great thanks guys I just thought it'd be helpful to hear from a few different people and um and we're going to take some time now to sing, so I'll invite the...